Well, I think uh, Daryl has achieved something we've all tried to up here, and that is to play without a podium. I don't think I've ever seen that before at Auburn, so uh, props to you. Why don't we pray this morning, ask God to help us. Father in heaven, we ask that you would speak. And the words of those songs are so relevant to us and helpful to us that we are so eager to speak sometimes and slow to listen when we really just need a word from you. So we ask this morning that you would quiet our hearts as we've been singing and we've been praying, we've been asking you to do, that you would focus us on you, that you would help us to see and to hear and to believe for your name's sake. Amen. I, uh, I saw in the bulletin this morning, I wish I had it before, this, I should have looked before this morning, but I see that the mission of Auburn has been articulated as to invite people to know God personally and to understand their unique role in his plan to save the world through his son, Jesus. That's a mission of Auburn. That's an awesome mission. That's a biblical mission. That's a concise mission. That's a good mission. And what I would like to say to you this morning is I'm going to try and help you understand specifically how has Jesus saved the world and how is Jesus saving the world through us? How has Jesus saved the world and how is he using us to do that? Specifically, I want to talk to you this morning about the role of suffering in that. I, uh, I got the bulletin. There's these big words. The role of suffering in the advance of the gospel. That'll get people to church, right? Everyone wants to hear something like that. And I was like, well, okay, better be a good one. But, uh, but I want to talk to you this morning about the role of suffering. And what I want to show you from the scriptures is that suffering is not something that we go through. We go through over the course of our life and <clears throat> in our witness to the world. Our suffering is a witness to the world. Our suffering is a, is a primary means that God has used to bring the world to know about the sufferings of Jesus. Our suffering is one of the primary means God uses to show people the sufferings of Jesus for them. Specifically, our sufferings for other people. Our sufferings for other people. Colossians 1, 24, 25. This is where I'll be focusing. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. This is Paul in prison. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. afflictions. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. That is the church. When I, was, uh, when I was growing up, I mean, I'm not that old, 28, but when I was maybe 14, 15, 16, attending youth group over and over and over and over again, I would hear, uh, we would kind of look around and see that a lot of us were apathetic and we would go to, con- we would go to conferences to kind of fire up teenagers and, and everyone would be rah, rah, rah. And there's a sense of, you know, what do we need to do about this apathy that we feel towards Jesus? What do we need to do to, to stand for him, to be more committed to him? And one thing that keeps coming up, and I'm sure you can resonate with this, is, man, we would really grow if there was persecution. Have you ever heard that before? The church would really flourish if there was some persecution. That's what we need. I've said things like this, so I'm not bashing people who've said that. And that is, in, in a sense, that is true. If there was persecution, I think the church would grow. But here's what I want to I look at this morning. I want you to think about. Why is there no persecution? And see, we think that the, the, the way to solve apathy towards Christ, the way to solve lukewarmness is to bring in persecution. But what I think the scriptures show us is that the only way persecution and afflictions really happen to Christians is when they are not apathetic towards Christ. When they're not apathetic towards Christ. 
And so sometimes we need to step back and look and stop saying things like, you know, maybe we just need some terrorists to show up and start lobbing off heads around here and that'll help us. Maybe we need to start way before that and start saying, why are we, why are we so not afflicted by people? Why, do, why does no one ever seriously, like, hate me? I mean, we have little persecutions, like political correctness stuff. That's not an affliction. That's annoying, right? That's, that's not a major affliction against us. That doesn't bear witness to the, the agony and the sufferings of Jesus when we don't agree with someone. That's not what Jesus went through. He wasn't in a disagreement. He was crucified. And why was he crucified? Because he loved people wholeheartedly. He loved them perfectly. So I want to look at this this morning. Persecution is not just the means to remove our apathy. Our apathy needs to be removed in order to suffer. And we need to suffer. I want you to see two things this morning. That Jesus Christ was afflicted for us. That Jesus Christ was afflicted for us. That this is his love for us. This isn't something he went through and he's loving. This is his love for us. This is how God shows his love for us. So while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That is how we, that's how we show love. That's how love is shown to us. Revelation 5.9 says this succinctly. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for, why are you worthy? You were slain. A man, not a lamb, was slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language, every people and nation. So if our mission at Auburn, and it is a biblical mission, is to know God personally and to help people understand their role in his plan to save the world through his son. How did he save the world through his son? By being slain and through his blood. That's how he saved people from the world. And our job to communicate this to the world is to share in those afflictions. So that's my introduction. I know it's kind of long. Let me back that up. Paul uses this strange phrase. I don't, even, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, wondered. He says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Paul is writing from prison. It says that he is in chains. He's writing to a church he's never been to. He loves them. He is suffering on their behalf. He is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. How are Christ's afflictions lacking? I mean, that seems like somewhat of a heretical statement, as if maybe Jesus' sufferings were not enough. It's almost like Paul is like another little Jesus who's, who's suffering to, to save us or something like that. But that's not what's going on. Christ's atonement for sin was in no way lacking. The cross was in no way lacking. Christ's sufferings on our behalf, in our place, were in no way lacking on that level. The Bible is clear. Hebrews seven twenty seven. He has no need. This is Jesus. Like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all. There's no need for any more sacrifice to be made ever. Paul is not in prison sacrificing like Jesus. He's not doing that. There's no more sacrifice need to be made for sins when he offered himself up. Hebrews 9.12, Jesus entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing, securing an eternal redemption. When Jesus suffered and died, the, the Bible says repeatedly, the work was finished. Jesus said this, it is finished. So when Paul is filling up with and lacking in Christ's afflictions, he's not like offering himself as a sacrifice in the same way Jesus is. 
So what does he mean? The same phrase is used in Philippians 2. And verse 25 to 30. And I'll just read probably 29 to 30. Paul is writing to the Philippian church. Who has ministered to him while he is in prison. Sent him a gift through Epaphrodites. He says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy. And honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to, listen to the phrase, complete what was lacking in your service of me. That's the, it's the identical phrase in Greek. It's the exact same language. Fill up what is lacking, complete what is lacking. Identical language. I'll read that again. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking, to fill up what was lacking in your service to me. There was something lacking, in other words, of the Philippian church's service to Paul. And Epaphroditus, by risking his life, by suffering to get to Paul, as he did, filled that up. He completed that. So what was lacking? To complete what was lacking in your service to me means to show a public um, example of the love of the church from the Philippians. What was lacking in the church's service to Paul, in other words, was an offering of their love. What was lacking in their service to Paul was an offering of their love through the suffering of Epaphroditus. That's, a, that's the key. Paul would not have seen the service of the church if Epaphroditus hadn't gone to great lengths to get to him, almost dying, he says. The service of the church and their love towards Paul wouldn't be fully seen. Wouldn't be fully seen if there was just a text message. Wouldn't be seen through an email. Wouldn't be seen in a casual conversation. The love of the Philippian church for Paul in prison, in change, was only filled up and seen through a man risking and suffering and demonstrating their love for him. What was lacking? A demonstration of that love. That's the point this morning. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions? A demonstration of those afflictions. That's what it means. What is lacking in the, in the afflictions of Christ? What is Paul filling up? He is demonstrating the love of Christ. He is demonstrating through his afflictions, his suffering for the church, the love of Christ, the afflictions of Jesus. So the afflictions of Jesus on the cross were totally complete, totally sufficient. It is done. It is finished. There is nothing anyone else needs to do except tell everyone. And the way you're going to tell everyone is by suffering yourself. Is by embodying this message of a Christ who was crucified for sinners. You're not just going to tell them. You're not just going to have coffee with them. You're going to suffer for them. And they're going to look at your life and they're going to say, this is, this is what he's talking about. This is what's real. This is true. And you will fill up what is lacking. So how are Christ's afflictions extended to the people they were meant to save? Through personal su- suffering. Just like Epaphroditus risking his life to fill up what was lacking in the Philippian church's service to Paul. This has always been the case. This has always been the case. I remember years ago hearing the phrase, the blood of the martyrs are the building blocks of the church. Have you heard that? The blood of the martyrs are the building blocks of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's it's a common phrase. It actually comes from Tertullian. Tertullian, uh, AD 160. In his apology to the Roman leaders, he writes, 
The oftener we are mown down by you Romans, the more in number we Christians grow. The blood of Christians is seed. He wrote this 180, 200 years after the death of Christ. The oftener we are mown down, the more you kill us, the more we grow. The, the blood of the Christians is seed. This is a witness of the early church. Stephen Neal, in A History of Christian Missions, writes the same thing. Because of their dangerous situation, via via the law, Christians were almost bound to meet in secret. Every Christian knew that sooner or later he might have to testify to his faith at the cost of his life. When persecution did break out, martyrdom could be attended by the utmost possible publicity. The Roman public was hard and cruel, but it was not altogether without compassion. He goes on to say, there are a number of well-authenticated cases of conversion of pagans and the very moment of witnessing the condemnation and death of Christians. The death of Christians was a moment of conversion for pagans. There must have been far more who received impressions than in the course of time would have been turned into a living faith. The suffering of the early church was one of the greatest witnesses to the reality of Jesus Christ. It wasn't like a sidestep in the road. It wasn't like an inconvenience that happened to them in the, in the course of their gospel ministry. Please pray for me. I've been distracted by this imprisonment. No. The word of God is not bound. Doesn't Paul say that? This has actually served the end of the gospel, he says. So that everyone in here can know that I am in here because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul views suffering not as, a, not as something that is uh, an inconvenience or something that we need to get around. or something that we just need to get through. He views it as something that the Lord is using explicitly to bear witness to Jesus. And that would just change our whole life if we saw that, if we lived like that. If, if when we face persecution and afflictions for being Christians, we didn't see it as something we need to get around, something we need to avoid, something we just need to get through. We see it as this is, a, this is a witness. This is a witness right here. I don't need to look for an opportunity in this situation. This is, this is the opportunity to share Jesus Christ, bearing his afflictions. Our, suffer, our Savior suffered for others. And suffering for others bears witness to his sufferings. Paul says repeatedly that he is suffering for you. Consider these words in Isaiah 53. I just want you to listen. I won't read the whole thing, but I just want you to listen to the words. I want you to see Christ's sufferings, and I want you to see the reason and the purpose and the intention. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. Are you seeing a pattern here? The sufferings and the afflictions of Christ were for us. They're for us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was stricken for the transgression of my people. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The point I'm trying to make to you is that I don't just mean any kind of suffering. I don't just mean life is hard and my car breaks down. I mean, I mean suffering with its intended purpose of loving other people. 
The sufferings of Jesus Christ bear witness to that. I, you could read through Isaiah 53, do it in your time. The whole point is he died because of us. He died for us. He died instead of us. That's the whole point. This is what Jesus did. He was an afflicted Savior. And this is what the church often is embarrassed about. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but we are ashamed of the gospel. I grew, I grew up in a, in a, you know, I grew up not really even hearing the gospel before I came to Auburn. I didn't really, it wasn't really explicit to me. I'll get into it later, but I love how you guys celebrate the table every week. That's important. You should never stop that, ever. But I didn't know the gospel, really. I didn't hear it. It wasn't explicit to me. And so many people grow up with this. I grew up in like a youth group kind of system where it's like, find the coolest people and, and try to convince people that Jesus is super cool and they'll want to follow him. And try to take away all the rough edges of Jesus that people won't like. But people who aren't willing to follow an afflicted Savior won't be afflicted for others. They never are. They never will be. The great love of God in Jesus Christ is demonstrated in his suffering. This is love. This is love. How can we seriously tell people the message of the love of God, which we do and we want to, if we are unwilling to share the sufferings of Jesus? Jesus suffered. He was afflicted. We don't just talk about the cross on Easter. This is our whole life. This is our message. This is our God. And how can we truly tell them that message and truly bear witness to that if we are so saturated with a desire to not suffer? If we are repulsed by the idea of any affliction for the sake of Christ, for the good of other people? There's a major disconnect there. What I'm not trying to do this morning is throw a heavy burden on all of you, tell you to sell your house and sell your car and start flogging yourself or something. I'm not telling you that. What I'm trying to do is remind you that the love of God thrown through Jesus, shown through Jesus Christ was demonstrated through his afflictions. Explicitly, that is the love of God. He was a propitiation for our sin. He was a lamb who was slain, and by his blood he ransomed people. How did he save people? Because he was afflicted. I want you to focus your hearts on that. When I finish, I want us to gather around the table and focus on this. And if we do that, then we will walk away as people who are totally willing to suffer for other people. Our suffering for others, if motivated by the suffering of Christ, will be joyful. This is the kicker, right? There's a lot of gloomy faces out there right now. We're getting to, we're getting to the good part. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Can you say that? Can we say that? No, right? I mean, I can't, honestly. This is such a convicting message to preach. How do you preach something like this? Right? How do you not be a hypocrite and say something like this? Will you repent? I repent. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and I rarely do that. How can Paul actually be in prison and not be a liar and honestly say, I'm rejoicing at what's happening to me? I'm rejoicing. What is joyful about suffering? Nothing and everything. We are joyful in our suffering because we share in our Savior's love. We share in our Savior's love. We are joyful in our suffering because we, being loved through the suffering of another, eagerly give ourselves so that others might know this love. There is a purpose to our suffering. Hebrews 12, 2. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Why did Jesus endure the afflictions that he did? For the joy. For the joy. He didn't put his head down and knuckle down and man up and pick up his boots. 
He was happy to do it. Not because this is happy, not because his afflictions were good. He cried tears of blood. He suffered as a man. He wasn't Superman. He was flesh and blood like you and me. No different in his humanity. He really did suffer. And it really did hurt. And he really did ask his father, take this away from me. If there's another way, I don't want to do this. He did say that. And yet, he went through it. And his motivation was joy. He was happy to do it because he saw that he would rescue many sons and many daughters from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. And that's what we need to see. There's so much more going on in our afflictions. And we're tempted to do is just look at us and think of us and see us and what's happening to me. But God is doing so much more through your life and your sufferings and your afflictions. And you can imagine, you will never know, ever. None of us will. We will never know fully the impact of what we go through and how that impacts others for the sake of Christ. We can go through suffering if we're motivated by the sufferings of Christ with joy. If we just try to just be like people who sell our cars and sell our houses and put in this moralistic code and, you know, get rid of everything nice in our lives and just try to make ourselves suffer, we won't get it. That's not how you do it. That's a terrible motivation. No one, and no one likes those kinds of people. They're annoying. They just make you feel like, I don't want to live like that. But if, but if, if, you're, if you're the kind of person who looks at the, at the face of Jesus Christ and sees Ben, look what he did for me. Look how he loved me. What can I do for you? How can I love you? How can I give to you? If you look at the face of the afflicted Savior, you will suffer. We will. Our church will suffer. Your church will suffer. If we stand up for the cross of Jesus Christ, if we're explicit, if we don't take away the edges, we will. Jesus said, woe to you if all men speak well of you. Didn't he say things like that? Not woe to you if people don't like you. You're probably not loving. Jesus died, remember? Three years of ministry. I'm hoping to get 40. Maybe that's a bad idea. He had three. Jesus was the most loving person on the face of the planet. Have you ever thought about how sanctimonious it is and self-righteous to think that if, we're, if everyone likes us, it means we're loving? Well, Jesus died. Are you more righteous than him? Are you more loving than him? Have you loved the world in such a great way that, you've, uh, that they love you? We need to be willing to suffer for others. So what is the fruit of suffering for the sake of the others, of the, for the sake of others. Paul says his whole ministry was a fruit of his sufferings. Again, suffering isn't only a result of the gospel ministry. It is a necessary means. Jesus said repeatedly the same thing. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. You will be dragged before them for my sake. Why? To bear witness before them, the Gentiles. Literally, it says, you will be dragged before them for a witness to them. You will be delivered to them. You will be flogged for them. Not so you can stand there and talk to them. Because in your flogging and your delivering over to them, you are a witness. That's what he said. He doesn't say you'll be delivered to them and you will be flogged. And you will stand before them so that in that one great moment, you can be like Martin Luther and say the right words. When you are delivered over to them, when you suffer for my name's sake, you are a witness. Think about that. You are a witness in your afflictions. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is Paul. 
the hero of the church, the greatest missionary in the history of the church, is in prison. Prison. You've got to be wondering what the church is thinking, right? Plan failed. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Suffering has advanced the gospel ministry. It wasn't a distraction. He didn't say to the church, please pray for me. I'm going through these tough times. Please pray for me. I'm just, I'm just facing these challenges to ministry. I want you to know, dear brothers, don't be discouraged. Everything you're seeing in my life, we're winning. I'm losing and we're winning. Think about that. You can't lose. They lock me up, people get saved. How, how frustrated would you be as a Roman right now? You get their leader and you put him in chains and everyone gets saved. And the church grows. And then he gets a letter out to the church and he says, you know what, don't even pray for me that I would get out of here. Don't even pray for me that I would just pass through these afflictions. Like celebrate that in these afflictions, the gospel is actually advancing. You can't beat a guy like that. Because the gospel is not chained. Notice that sufferings weren't merely a result of his ministry. They served his ministry. Suffering served his ministry. I want to make sure we have time for the table. So I'm going to wrap it up. What I want us to focus on this morning. What I want us to close with is understand your unique role in God's plan to save the world through the Son, Jesus Christ. That is the mission of His church. That is the mission of your life. That is my mission. That is a good mission. What is your unique role? Your unique role is to bear witness to the afflictions of Jesus Christ. And the primary way that you might do that is through your own. Your unique role in telling the world that Jesus has come to save them is to share in His sufferings. Your unique role to bear witness to the afflictions of Jesus Christ for the sake of others is to suffer for other people. That might be your main role. You might burn out pretty quick, but you'll light a flame. This is the way it's always been. We need to have a radical commitment, and this is my heart, to a gospel with a suffering Savior for the sake of others. I've heard other people in this city, other pastors, stand up in front of the church and say, we're going to be the church that it's hard to hate. Well, you're not a church. If you're the church that no one hates, then you're not a church. That doesn't mean you go out and be a bigot. It doesn't mean you go out and every reason someone hates you, you're justified. It doesn't mean that at all. But if you love people with a sacrificial love, if you bear witness to Jesus, the most loving man to ever live on this world, you will be hated. The student is not above the master. They hated me, they're going to hate you. How can someone stand up in front of his church and say, we're going to follow Jesus who the world hates and no one's going to hate us. You're not going to follow Jesus. You're not going to share in his sufferings. You're not going to share in his glory. We need to be comfortable with this. This needs to be our culture. We need to be comfortable with these kinds of things. Jesus said it over and over and over. And what drives this is a gospel that focuses on the afflictions of Jesus. Which drives us. There's an entire movement of the church that shies away from the cross of Jesus Christ. That he actually died for sins. It's repulsive. And it is repulsive. It always has been. It seems weird and strange. Isn't there another way? Why did that have to happen? And it's picking up steam. And it has always been the case. Every generation this happens. But if we let go of the fact that Jesus Christ died in our place because of us, for us. He was afflicted for us. Then we lose love. 
then we lose love in any meaningful sense. People who are ashamed of the afflictions of Jesus are not willing to bear them. If you're ashamed of the afflictions of Jesus and you're trying to make him cool and presentable, then you're not going to suffer for people because your Jesus doesn't suffer for people. People who are ashamed of the afflictions of Jesus are not willing to bear the sufferings of others. You need to not be ashamed of this. You need to not be ashamed of this. As we come to the Lord's table now, I want you to think of the Lord's table and someone will share. I want you to think of this as the table of the Lord's afflictions. We're celebrating, we're not celebrating bread, we're celebrating the body and a body that was what? Broken. Body that was broken so that we can be healed. Blood that was what? Shed. Poured out. So that we could be ransomed. By his blood, he is ransomed from every tribe and every nation and every tongue of people. Through his sufferings, through his afflictions. This sermon is just the appetizer. We're getting to the meal. We remind ourselves of the afflictions of Jesus. A broken body and shed blood. And this is love. And we are willing to bear that reproach. And we are willing in light of this to suffer for other people. And we are willing to take on the afflictions that he took on. We are willing as Paul to fill up what is lacking. To be a demonstration to the world that this is how much God loves you. This is what God did for you. There is nothing you need to do and nothing you need to bring. And our text messages and our Facebook statuses and our emails and our blogs are not enough. We need to embody this. We need to display this. Let's move to celebrate this. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much. We are reminded of the afflictions of Jesus. We are reminded of the great love with which you have loved us. The cost of our sin and the depths of your grace. I pray now as we come to the table that you, as you lead us in reflection. Help us to be those who are not ashamed, who are not scared, who are not afraid, who are not repulsed by the suffering Jesus. And I pray that as you work this in us, as you humble us, as you show us the grace you've given us, the forgiveness that we have and the healing that we have, that we will be eager and willing to be afflicted for others, to show the world through our lives and not just our words the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.